0: Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. This is Memorial Day, and I often think on Memorial Day of soldiers on the battlefield. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were a soldier on the battlefield and you came to the conclusion that there was no hope of victory? Can you imagine what it would be like if you were a soldier on the battlefield and you came to the conclusion that there was no hope of survival? Can you imagine what it would be like if you were a soldier on the battlefield and you came to the conclusion that there was no life after death? We have a wonderful rich heritage in this country because we have acknowledged God, the author of life, and we have acknowledged the truth of eternal life. And that has been a source of hope for millions, thousands, and thousands, and thousands, and hundreds of thousands of soldiers that have fought for this country. But I want you to see hope in the book of First Thessalonians. It's part of the daily Bible reading. And I want you to see the power of hope. It was Bertrand Russell who said, All the labor of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. The whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins." Does that sound like hope? Well, Bertrand Russell isn't known for hopefulness. And so I'm not surprised to hear those words from him. We don't talk much about hope in good times. We do it occasionally, but we basically talk about hope in bad times. I hope I will see the sun tomorrow, or I hope that tomorrow will be a better day or I hope that things will improve. This ought to be obvious to us that we all need hope. We need hope to keep our spirits up. We need hope from despondency and despair. We need hope to keep moving forward. We need hope not to give up. All of this is very important for us. Years ago, there was a submarine that had... uh, an unfortunate accident was rammed by another ship, and it quickly sank, and the entire crew was trapped in its hull, and ships rushed to the scene of disaster off the coast of Massachusetts to do what they could to help. You can imagine the frustration. You can imagine the fear. You can imagine the thoughts of the, of the sailors who were in the submarine. You can imagine and you can be sure that they clung bravely to life as the oxygen was slowly giving out. A diver went down, he placed his helmeted ear to the side of the vessel, and he listened and he heard this tapping noise. Someone was tapping out a question in the dots and dashes of Morse code. The question came slowly, is there any hope years ago if I may use another illustration there was a hydroelectric dam that was to be built across the valley in New England those things take years to plan those take years to work out the details and get it up to where it needs to be for for uh, for construction the people in that, a small town in the valley were to relocate because the town itself would be submerged when the dam was finished. During the time between the decision to build the dam and its completion, the buildings in the town, which previously were kept up nicely, fell into disrepair. Instead of being a pretty little town, it became an eyesore. Why? Why did it happen? The answer is simple, as one resident said, where there is no hope in the future, there is no work in the present. So let's look at the references to bad times in the book of Thessalonians, and look at, let's look at the, at the relationship between those bad times and hope. I have five, uh, it shouldn't take us very long. But the first one is in chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 6. But let me just give you a tad of background. Paul is writing to the Thessalonican church. He's writing to the believers there, and he's excited. He sees a church that's growing. He sees a church that's full of faith, a church that's full of love, and a church that's full of hope in verse 3. He sees all of that. He's excited because they're working faithfully to share the gospel in their community, and to share it everywhere else they can send it. And notice what the apostle Paul says to them in verse 6, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. When they received the gospel, it wasn't, uh, it was during bad times, They were experiencing persecution. They were experiencing affliction. And he says, you received the word of God in much affliction. But hope is not very far away. Paul seems to link affliction and persecution and trouble and trials and difficulties with hope. And he reminds them of something that they already understand. So he says in verses 9 and 10, For they themselves declare concerning us, these are people who have become Christians because of your efforts to share the gospel. They themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. They're working tirelessly to share the gospel. But what's happening in verse 10? While they're working, they're waiting for what? His son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul is so interested in connecting trouble with hope so that we see the power of hope to keep moving forward and to continue that he even adds in verse 10 the trying day of the wrath to come, right after he talks about the hope of the second coming of Christ. The second reference is in Paul's reference to his conduct when he came to the church at Thessalonica. In chapter 2, verse 2, he refers to himself and he says, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And so the apostle Paul gives himself as an illustration, and then all the way down in verse 14, he adds the Thessalonican church. He says, for you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus, for you, what? also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans. He's talking about the Judeans. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the Thessalonica church. He's talking about their response in bad times, a response that led them to despair, that led them to uh, despondency, discouragement, He's a realist. Paul's a realist. So, in the very next reference, he's going to talk about that. We all get discouraged. We all get despondent. We all lose hope from time to time. Sometimes it just is enough for us to lose sight of it for just a brief moment or two. But the Bible says here that Paul wants them to know that we're all in this together. We're all suffering And I want you to know that even in the second section, hope is not far away. What does the Apostle Paul say in verses 17, 18, and 19? But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire, therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. That would be very demoralizing, wouldn't it? I can see the Apostle Paul losing hope for a brief moment under those circumstances. And there were probably many sleepless nights that he had when he was trying to figure out how things were going to work out between him and the church. But notice what he says in verse 19. He doesn't let it. He doesn't let it rule his thoughts for very long. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming. The third reference comes in chapter 3, where Paul shows a genuine concern for their faith. He doesn't know what the outcome will be. But he has hope. He has great hope that it will work out well. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to do what? To establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. We're going to have problems. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have challenges. We're going to have trying times. We're going to have bad days. We're appointed to this. But he says, our concern was that you wouldn't be shaken by this. We thought there was the possibility that if you lost sight of what God wants you to know, that you would be shaken that you would throw in the towel maybe, that you would be discouraged and despondent and it would affect your service for the Lord or or whatever. It it could be anything like that. And so the Apostle Paul says, you know, hope hope is not very far away. Hope is not very far away. He says, for me personally, in verse 7, therefore, brethren, in all our afflictions and distress we were comforted concerning you by your faith. And then as quickly as he talks about himself and how his hope has managed to keep him looking forward and not giving up, notice what it says in verses 11 through 13. He's actually giving the remedy for the possibility that they could be shaken in their faith. He's giving the remedy in verses 11 through 13. Let's look at this together. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. That's our hope, that God will direct his way to us. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. That's our hope so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. That's his hope. He actually ends the book on that note. Hope, the remedy for the possibility of being shaken in our faith. And then number four, number four, I want you to go all the way down to verse 13 through 18, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. Anytime I'm, I'm, you know, if I'm in a cemetery and we're doing a committal service, one of the things I love to do is have everybody look around at the cemetery. And I love to say to everybody, you know there's going to be a really fantastic event to occur in this cemetery and in cemeteries all across this area, all across the world, everywhere. There's going to be a fantastic event because Jesus is coming back with all his saints. Now that's hope. But notice how the Apostle Paul describes it. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. I can't even imagine the sight. I can't even imagine when Jesus says to us, when God says to the apostle Paul through his spirit, I cannot imagine this event when Jesus returns and descends from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and we see resurrection day where God reunites the bodies of those who have gone uh, long past away and unites them with their souls and then transforms those of us who are still living at the time. But this is the hope that God encouraged the Apostle Paul to give to the Thessalonians who were living in bad times. This is the hope. Now, I want you to notice something in this book. When the Bible was written, the verses weren't marked. That was done for our convenience and our help down the road. Hundreds of years ago, the chapters were not marked. The chapters were uh, designated for our convenience too, and and I love the way it was done for in First Thessalonians because notice at the end of chapter one we have a reference to the second coming of Christ in verses nine and ten. It's there. God raised Jesus from the dead who will deliver us from the wrath to come by his second coming, strongly implied. At the end of chapter 2, verses 17, 18, and 19, you have a reference to the second coming of Christ. Do you see that in verse 19? Jesus Christ at his coming. At the end of chapter 3, you have a reference to the second coming of Christ. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless at the what? At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Have you ever thought how many saints that's going to be? He's bringing them all with him. It's going to be a unimaginable at the end of chapter 4 obviously the passage you just read it refers to the second coming of christ in detail and at the end of chapter 5 verse 23 now may the god of peace himself sanctify you completely And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you say, I think it's very fair to say, that the hope of the second coming of Christ figures big in the comfort that Paul gives to the church. And it should figure big in the comfort we experience in our trials and our tribulations as well. Finally, chapter 5, verses 1 and following. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Now, I want to read these 11 verses to you. I gave us enough time to do that. (laughs) But I want you to see this. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Now, Paul just told us that we need to be actively involved in comforting one another with the second coming of Christ, because he's going to change everything. It changes everything. It makes everything right. Everything that's wrong about this world will be made right. Everything that's wrong about anything will be made right at the second coming. And so he encourages us to comfort one another. We need to get into, I mean, the application of this passage of Scripture is we need to give comfort, and it needs to be certain comfort. It needs to be reliable comfort. It needs to be comfort that certainly will not fail under any circumstances. Right? A lot of times we talk to people and we say, well, I hope things will be better, and I hope that things will improve, and I, I hope that things can change, and, and uh, a lot of times it works. You can never stop. Hoping, do you? You never stop working. You never stop looking at solutions to problems. You keep at it. But I know a lot of times deep down in your minds we're saying, but I don't know. I, I just don't know whether that's going to work out. I don't know if it's going to happen. That's human nature. That's the way we are. But concerning these times and seasons, you know that in verse 2, the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. But that doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to me. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. It's the day of the second coming. We can put those two together. There's no problem. We can put those two together and understand that for those who love the Lord, it's a great day. For those who don't love the Lord, it's a bad day. Notice what he says in verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden what? Sudden what? Destruction comes upon them. And he uses, the, he uses the awful, awful, awful painful experience of birth, childbirth, to describe it. And then ends it with these words, they will not escape. There's no escape. We have hope, but this is going to be a hopeless situation for those who have to go through the day of the Lord and experience the sudden destruction. But look what he says. Every time you see that word, but, in verse 4, you see it. Now, God's going to contrast this. He's going to talk about the bad times and the hopelessness of that. Certainly, it's hopeless for us to see they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You don't need to worry about it. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And you know that in those words, watch and be sober, is this hope. Let's hope. It's a certain hope that Jesus is coming back again. And then in verse 8, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on, what is the we put on first? The breastplate of faith, And love, he's used this analogy before in describing our spiritual warfare against the devil and he described these these parts of the armor in a different way, but he says, put on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, what are we supposed to put on? A hope of salvation, that helmet that protects our thoughts. That helmet that protects our thinking. That helmet that helps us, it's to be the hope of salvation. Why in verse 9? Because God didn't appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we shall what? Live together with Him. I got a reunion coming this afternoon, and it's supposed to be a big one. There should be thousands and thousands of people there because it's the original reunion that was established when our family came over in the in the 1600s. But there's going to probably be about fifty people there that's it. <laughs> that's it and uh and, of course, there are, certain, uh, there are certain things that we're doing to make this reunion a safe place to be. And uh, so, the thing is, though, that when the Bible says that Jesus died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we shall live together with Him, we're talking about a lot of people. The best reunion in this world... And for all time is yet to come. Are you thinking about it? We will live together? Man, you're going to see a lot of people that you have seen go home to be with the Lord. You're going to meet a lot of people that you never got to meet before. I can't wait to talk to our missionaries and the people that got saved under their ministry. I want to, talk to, I want to talk to people in Asia, and I want to talk to people in every place on the earth, and I want to know how they got saved. And you and I will have all eternity to find that out. There'll be no end to our talking and our stories and all of that. We shall live together. And then what's our responsibility in verse 11? Our responsibility is to comfort each other and to edify one another just as you also are doing. We need to give hope. The application is we need to give certain hope. And what's the best hope we can give? There's lots of hope. Bible's filled with it for almost every circumstance. It just so happens, this is the daily Bible reading. We've determined that we're going to give you some overviews. 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians are in the daily Bible reading this week. And the references are to the second coming of Christ, which will make everything right. I want to read to you a letter that was written by a young teenager to the editor of a a national weekly news magazine. This is his letter. The economy is shot. The family unit is in trouble. Respect for authority is a joke. For the right price, you can buy yourself a senator or a judge, or he is out buying himself a 16-year-old to use for a couple of hours. Money is worthless, and you're worthless without it. Stop worrying about why your son needs a drink before he can face his morning classes or why your daughter went out and got pregnant. Just help them cope with the reality of life. Before throwing us into categories, just remember that we have to run this joint in 30 years when you die off or retire or starve on your Social Security. I leave it up to you. Either give us a little help and understanding... Or put the world out of its misery and send up the missiles and hope Mother Nature has better luck with the next thing that crawls up out of the slime. That's hopelessness. And we wonder why the rates of suicide and we wonder why the rates of, uh, of are so high. We get to the place where there's no hope. Our responsibility as a church is to give hope. I, in closing, want to borrow two verses from 2 Thessalonians. Can I borrow two verses from 2 Thessalonians? I'll close with this. Every time you're out there and we're talking to people and we're ministering, give hope. you got plenty to give. And it's reliable. It's certain. But let me borrow two verses of Scripture in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, verses 16 and 17. Now may our, let's all say this together. It, those of you want to, I'm not, you know. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us every everla- everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Good hope. There is a geographical location at the bottom of Africa, and it was renamed from a horrible name of despair. And I forget what the name was. i having a senior moment, everybody. I have plenty of those. But uh, when there was a, du- I think it was a Dutch uh, uh, captain coming through there, uh, realized that you could travel through that area without having your ships destroyed. There was a certain way to pass through there, and they called it the Cape of Good Hope. Renamed it, the Cape of Good Hope. Listen, we have good hope. Let's share it. Let's share it. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, you've, you help us to understand the power of hope and why it is so important in our lives. and why we need to bathe our minds in the hope that you give to us. And Father, we pray that as we live our lives and we rub shoulders with our colleagues at work and those in the community and we talk to our neighbors and our friends and we deal with uh, everything that we deal with on a daily basis in this common life of ours. Father, help us to remember that we are ambassadors of hope. In Jesus, your precious name we pray. Amen.